Major League Baseball is finally back. As the new season gets underway, the Ringer Podcast Network has baseball fans covered with the Ringer MLB show playing for free on the TuneIn app for the month of April. Download the TuneIn app for free and listen to Ben Lindbergh and Michael Bauman break down baseball's biggest stories throughout the opening month of the MLB season. And as a bonus for our listeners, the Ringer Podcast Network has partnered with TuneIn to give baseball fans a free 60-day trial of TuneIn Premium to listen to every live home call from every MLB game around the league. Catch the Ringer MLB show only on TuneIn for the entire month for free. And when you upgrade to TuneIn Premium, you get those live MLB games. Just go to TuneIn.com slash Ringer and subscribe. Download the TuneIn app for free and Start listening today. Tune in your everything audio app. This episode of The Watch is brought to you by J. Cole. For your eyes only, a Dreamville film. The Grammy-nominated hip-hop star's second HBO special, which debuts Saturday, April 15th at 10 p.m. Eastern. This is the exclusive presentation. It's a multi-narrative show that combines music performances with intimate interviews documented through Cole's lens. The special showcases songs from his fourth album, as well as revealing footage containing the heartfelt confessions, concerns, and struggles of people in the South. Traveling through different cities, gathering interviews, J. Cole reveals reveals the challenges lower-income residents face trying to obtain viable housing, as well as the frustration for felons of being barred from voting. I'm personally really excited to check this out. It's rare that you get to see a rapper have the chance to make something like this with the interviews, the documentary element, and the concert footage, and put it on a platform like this. J. Cole's latest special airs Saturday, April 15th, 10 p.m. Eastern to 11 p.m. Eastern for the premiere of J. Cole, For Your Eyes Only, a Dreamville film. You have to hit HBO. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com. And today, a special episode of The Watch. We're joined by a bunch of Ringer staff members, uh, a variety of them. I was going to do a solo pod today that was just going to be like 63 minutes straight on the Americans. But um, that's premium content. You got to pay for that. Uh, the free version here is me talking to a bunch of staff members from The Ringer, Sean Fennessy, Alice Herman, Micah Peters, and more. And I just wanted to pick their brains, see what they're checking out right now, get some Ringer recommendations. And I, I actually don't even know what folks are going to be recommending to me right now. But we're going to start off with The Ringer editor-in-chief and my arch nemesis, um, Sean Fennessy. I'm in the take cannon, <laughs> and I'm ready to be fired. This is you have the floor, man. You've cleared me out. I'm standing in the corner waiting for the ball. That's not what this is about. But I'm going to open with a story to set the scene. Oh my god! Last night, members of the Ringer staff, after a Ringer League basketball game, went to a Korean restaurant, had some beers, had some skewers. Okay. Conversation Thanks came for the up. Invite that was cool. I wasn't busy. Well, if you could ball, you could be there. <laughs> So anyway, we're at this restaurant. We're having a conversation. It's the same conversation that everybody in America is having today. Who is the MVP of the National Basketball Association? Yes, yes. As you know and as you feel, many members of our staff love and support Russell Westbrook. I am wearing an Oklahoma Thunder hat right now, even though I'm from Philadelphia, two of your favorite places in America. Right. So those are festering cauldrons. However, at this debate last night, Jason Gallagher, Micah Peters, among others, mm-hmm. stridently supporting Russ, yeah. making their case. Right. As you know and as you've known for many years, I am opposed to Russ yes. at all costs. Yes. I do not understand the love. I do not understand the support. I am not moved. I hope that this is like this is your Andy Kaufman move and that when, you know, in 10 years from now and I'm I'm toasting you as you uh as you open up your third in a, a, a franchise of shoe, shoe stores that you've opened. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, remember when you 
when you used to hate Russell Westbrook and you just look up and it's like it was like that was just a bit. It was a ten year bit. It's not a bit. Uh, so anyhow, we're having this debate. I'm arguing against it. I'm supporting Harden. I'm making my usual case about how LeBron has been the MVP of the league for the last nine years. He should have nine MVPs, etc. Things get a little contentious as they often do during these debates. To parry back at me, Jason Gallagher, blank faced, looks me in the eye and says, "You know what, man? I don't like Father John Misty." <laughs> Which was just the, the, the most, it was the lowest blow. Yeah. Because you know how I feel about Father John Misty. Yeah, but I feel like you you and I know that the deeper into the mist we get, the more we're going to lose other fellow travelers. Yeah. So that's that's what I want to talk about. Okay. What I want to talk about is Father John Misty, not, not in the context of the MVP debate. He is the MVP of music in 2017. Yes. But he, ha- he has a new record. It's called Pure Comedy. It came out last Friday. You sent me a Slack message on the Ringer Slack. Yeah. Four weeks ago, five weeks ago, low key, maybe one o'clock in the morning on a Friday night that was like, hey man, just want you to know, pure comedy is really touching me. Yeah. And I honestly, at that point, hadn't given it as much time as I would have liked. I've been giving it a lot more time this week. We've talked about Father John Misty before, but now that it's out in the world, and the takes are roiling. Are you as excited about it as you were five weeks ago? Yeah, I, I don't think that there's. He's my favorite lyricist in pop music right now. I'm actually like, you know, like I have a bunch of friends who are. I don't. I, I they, they're very into like, you know, oh, it's just melody and and you know the lyrics are there. But I have like a. I've always been really attracted to like probing funny lyricists who play characters or work with sarcasm and work with irony within and it's not to say that everybody doesn't do this but like you know I've always had a soft spot for people like that whether it was like Stephen Malkmus or and you know Misty now I'm sure I sound like I only have two examples but uh, there's something about the dead-eyed kind of horror that lurks underneath this album and it's but it's being played like by an indie band at a holiday inn at the edge of a desert you know what I mean? Like, I really like this idea of, like, almost like a lounge act at the end of the world, which is, like, the way I envision pure comedy playing out. Um, you, This album has a lot of elements of your favorite music, like Randy Newman, uh, Harry Nilsson. Is it almost one of those cases where something is too close to, to home? It is, yeah. Um, a few years ago, uh, I profiled Father John Misty, Josh Tillman. We spent some time together, and... At the end of a long conversation that we had, he was telling me about what he was working on next. Mm-hmm. And he pretty accurately described what ended up becoming pure comedy, which is a, a sort of like existential look at the world and the way that information comes in and the way we can't get it out. You know, this sort of like never ending stream of information that is unprocessable. Um, this is pre Donald Trump. This is pre all, all manner of things that have since distorted the world. But even at that point, he kind of knew what he was doing. And I remember specifically, thinking this is a mistake. Obviously, I wasn't going to say that to him, right. but what I liked so much about his second album, uh, I Love You, Honey Bear, mm-hmm. um, is just that it was very intimate and specific and was very much about him. And I could relate to him in, in a lot of specific ways. And I, I completely agree with everything he said about the l- lyricism. I completely agree with the sound of the music is like is a mode of music that is very um, sensual to mm-hmm. me. Um, but... I, for whatever reason, even after spending a lot more time with it this week, I can't I can't connect. And maybe it's because I don't want to spend my time 
thinking about how I can't connect to the rest of the world the same way that he can't. You know, I, I have the same like miserablest view of things. So let me ask you, and this is not just because both of these songwriters have uh, lurid lines about Taylor Swift, but do you feel like he is kind of entering that Kanye zone where the music is at once so personal, but it for you, but is also like a shared experience for a lot of people, and there's so many takes about him, and there's like he's obviously like going through a very special moment in terms of being an interview subject uh, and being a pundit about pop culture and the like industrial complex around how we prop up and knock down pop cultural figures. Do you feel like he's almost entering a zone where it's not it's no longer like a private relationship with a musician and now he's like a, a, f- a figure that you have to kind of like think about? Maybe it's possible. I, don't, I, I only felt that way at the very beginning with Kanye. I right. accept Kanye belongs to everyone. Um, I think with Father John Misty, it's more that he's trying to figure out how to stay one step ahead of everybody. And the way that he, he's doing it in a form that is like much more rigid, like folk music and the form of rock music that he plays is is pretty straight. It's hard to reinvent it. He, like, yeah. he stripped down this album from the last record. Kanye usually does the opposite. Kanye is usually like, how can I blow up the last Murakami painting into a new painting? Right. And I think that because of the strictures that that Nimist he puts on himself, it, it it makes it more challenging. I don't, but I don't I don't feel like a a, a loss of closeness sure. to him. I just don't like the songs as much. Okay, so Sean Fennessy recommends Pure Comedy by Father John Misty, obviously available wherever you find uh, music online or otherwise, and uh, it's a record that he's still struggling with but is obviously deeply engaged by. Protect FJM. Yeah, okay. Let's jump to our next guest. Okay, that was Sean Fennessy, and now we're joined by The Ringer's television critic, Allison Herman. Allison, welcome back. This is like now... Four, four times, three times on the pod. I'm a recurring guest. Yeah. Is that the technical? You're gonna term? have to get the Tom Hanks jacket soon. Um, okay, so Allison, what do you recommend? So Netflix, as we know, is a never-ending font of content. Yeah. This weekend, they dropped the second season of a British show called Chewing Gum. heard about yeah, our yeah. colleague Kana wrote a recommendation for it in our running television post but it is created by written by and stars a woman named Michaela Cole and I guess the loose plot is it's about a virgin named Tracy who lives with her immigrant mom who's super Christian her sister who very much buys into that is and it she's set in, kind it's set of, in England right it's set on a real housing project okay. or council estate, right. as, as yeah. they are called, um, in North London, basically. Okay. Um, but yeah, and she decides that she kind of wants to grow up and venture out of this very strictured. I mean, it's sheltered in some ways because she's a 24 year old virgin, yeah, but sure. also she grows up in the middle of a working class. Uh, housing project and she's surrounded by the realities that come with that and the show is very frank about that and what I personally really like about the show is it follows very loosely a template of the young single girl in the city Mm -hmm. but we're so used to seeing that template reflected through usually white, usually affluent usually not on a council estate usually not a virgin um, usually just not as 
culturally specific about anything except I'm in New York and I'm going to trade in that iconography. Right. And I think... Extreme Hannah Hovarth voice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, or Alana Glazer or even, I mean, there's actually a lot of parallelism between Chewing Gum and Fleabag. I think their first seasons dropped in American Stream, so they are both British imports to American streaming services. I think Netflix just distributed the first season and contributed to the production of the second. But British comedies, six episodes, American streaming services, they even both share that uh, breaking the fourth wall device. Oh, okay. Where the narrator... Totally, is it it as dark as Fleabag or... That's also what's kind of nice about it is that there are dark elements in that it's much more frank about teen pregnancy and the desperation that can come with poverty and these are not classy people as we might understand them but it has this total unrestrained joy to it It it's kind of a technicolor palette it even has a very um old school sitcom-y montage opening that's a little bit ironic but also sincere and it brings this palpable sense of i think it's really interesting in that it manages to balance both. It's very sharply written, mm-hmm. and there are one-liners to be found in it, but Cole is just such a gifted physical comedian. It's almost like if you made an entire show out of that scene in Broad City where Alana jacks off a tree. Yeah. Like, it's that level <laughs> of total commitment, total enthusiasm, total lack of inhibition, and it's really fun to watch. And I literally sat down on a Saturday afternoon and knocked the whole thing out in three hours. Okay. Is it, uh, I'm going to ask the leftovers question, is it a, do you have to watch the first season to understand the second season bit, just as like a service journalism um, kind of question here? It's a little bit serialized. You probably could just read the Wikipedia page. Yeah. I do think, so the first season, she sort of magically just picks up a boyfriend. And so the first season was sort of, this is my first relationship. How Mm -hmm. do I negotiate that? And then the second season, they've broken up. Now she has to negotiate the aftermath of her first breakup. And one of the great ironies is that she manages to have this escalating series of sexual adventures. But spoiler alert, I guess, (laughs) she's still a virgin at the end of it, even though she's managed to like go to a sex club and... It's a high degree of difficulty for maintaining virginity, I guess. Yeah. Um, Okay. I would be remiss if I did not ask you because I already know the answer. But for listeners uh, who know Andy and I have been sort of talking up the leftovers piece by piece here and there over the last week or so. But just corroborate the fact that Andy and I are not on Leftovers Island. How good is this? Without giving anything I mean, away, obviously. How the good entire is profession of television criticism is one giant Leftovers Island. We just kind of <laughs> scream into the void. Yeah, and because of the boom, there's like two and a half million of you. Yeah, <laughs> like, I think we got three people to watch it, but we're just sustaining these final episodes. But it's incredible. Um, can't recommend it more. I'm really excited to hear you guys' conversation with Damon. Yeah. Yeah, go watch. Okay, Allison Herman, she recommends Chewing Gum. It's streaming on Netflix. Thanks very much for stopping by, Allison. Thanks for having me. Okay, so that was Allison Herman, and now I am joined by um, uh, the Ringer's chief millennial, um, Micah Peters. Micah, this is your first time on The Watch? Uh, I think it is my first time it's on The Watch. For you. It's a big it's a moment. big day. It's a big day. Yeah. Uh, Micah, I don't know what people are going to be recommending. And with you, I never know what you're going to recommend. I never know what you're going to bound into my office and say that you were obsessed with some piece of obscure anime or like... I spend a lot of time on SoundCloud. Okay. You know, like, stop judging me for it. <laughs> the future-based community. Uh, Micah, what do you have to recommend for The Watch listeners? Right. Okay. So, my recommendation is this rapper from St. Louis who is 
a Chicago transplant. His name is Smito, and his debut album is called Black Swan, and it is Spell amazing. Smito for people. Smito is S-M-I-N-O. Great. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can remember that. Smino, he's from, he's from, he's a Chicago transplant to St. Louis. No, St. Uh, Louis, yeah, St. Louis, Chicago. What's his yeah. stuff like? Um, okay, so it's very, I don't want to say future bounce because that's gold length's term, but it's very vibey and kind of mellow, but bouncy. The way that he, it's kind of like a, it's something in the legacy of uh, Nelly, I would say. Oh. But... Country, I mean, updated for well, updated, <laughs> updated for my generation. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> what is it in the sense that it, it, is it melodic the way that Nelly it was? It is extremely melodic. Okay. Uh, there's my favorite song on the album is called uh, "Father, Son, and the Holy Smoke." It's very much like the melody. You can tell when, like, when the melody is the is the bedrock for. Like it's it's more it's more heavily weighted on the melody than mm-hmm. it is necessarily the lyrics. Okay. I would say, although there are things that are the the way that he the way that he raps is very. Even when he does interviews, like he was on uh, Selection Radio a couple months ago, okay, um, talking to Joe K. And even when he's just talking, like you and I are talking right now, it sounds like he's still performing, like, like he's like he's doing a melody, and like his voice is inherently melodic. Or yeah, it's like you know, shout out my mama, she never judged me, even told me I'm cute when I know I'm ugly. Like it's it's very gotcha. like it's and everything is very precise and fun. It's just a fun album. <laughs> Would you compare? I mean, just out of curiosity, because like I think that when we first started working together, obviously there was that burst of like new talent that kind of broke through a little bit in rap, where it was like. And Yachty, and Yachty especially was like I think while whimsical, I think that presaged like a degree of like interest in mel- melody that had been maybe not lacking, but absent from a lot of, like a lot of hip hop. Like, do you feel like that there's been a turn towards like a almost sing song, songy melody in, ha- like, in hip hop, or has yeah. that been going on for a long time since Conan and before? I that? think and, it's and, been it's been going on for a long time. I think that it's. It's maybe more. It's more of a mainstream thing. Maybe it's more overt now that everything is. It's songs are consistent of many hooks rather than mm-hmm. having like a verse, hook, bridge, whatever mm-hmm. structure. Anything that's straightforward. There are those things. Like say, even just in that one specific song I was talking about before. Like there's, there is a verse structure and a bridge and a hook, but it bleeds into like each bleeds into the next versus like you being able to say distinctly this is what this does and this is what this does let me ask you this how'd you find out about this guy because i'm always curious about like the way people find out about especially like a little bit slightly more obscure artists because of like the way that the sort of uh the, the delivery system of like music music information has changed so much in the last few years like is this something you just like were on soundcloud like scouting stuff or did you did it come to you through like do you read about it or what no i mean okay so there was this song i want to say it was three years ago almost um pigeon planes does this thing called songs of the week and i would like you know just look at it every mm-hmm. like just in when you're making your daily rounds around the internet 
And there was a song called Chibata by this dude named Smino. And I was just like, that is the dumbest song name I've ever heard. But it was like, it was a song about, you know, like, you know, the different... I mean, the bread you get at Oban Pan? No, the different words that you have for money, like ciabatta, bread, cheese, so on and so forth. Gotcha. But like introduces ciabatta on top of that. That's good. And it was like Added a new lexicon. <laughs> it was just like um, a, it, I mean, like it was interesting. And I was just like, oh, okay, this is cool. But I didn't come back to it. And I wasn't like really, really in until the Monty Booker, who is the producer that works with him mm-hmm. primarily. Uh, there was he had a selection white label release that just was like a handful of songs and there was this one song on there called Colors and Colors is it sounds like in like a a Super Nintendo like beat or whatever and it's just it's the so Nintendo s- wave is so strong it's with you so, guys it's so sunshiny and it's it's like it plays on Nostalgia, but also doesn't make it so that it's not in a way that's boring or heavy-handed or ham-fisted or whatever. It's not a gimmick. Exactly. It didn't feel like a gimmick. It just felt very – it felt fun, like I was saying the the entire album does. Okay. uh, Like there's also – Another song on the album called Edgar Allan Poe Up. <laughs> You're just making these up. <laughs> I'm not making I'm not making these up. Um Chibata and Edgar Allan Poe Up. Chibata is was just a SoundCloud Lucy. Edgar okay. Allan Poe Up is it was an was, official. That was, was like more that was a, a an official. Purpose. There you yeah, go. There it you was go. like it was one of the lead singles <laughs> from the album. Okay. Um and I think that I'm just gonna continue using this this explanation for the song. Because somebody asked me what it sounds like. Remember the D12 video for Purple Hills? Yeah. It sounds like rolling down one of the Purple Hills in that video. That's a very, that's a very, very evocative <laughs> summary. All right. Uh, so this guy is named Smino. Yes. And you can find his stuff on Spotify, Spotify Apple anywhere. Music, SoundCloud, wherever. S-M-I-N-O on a scale of one to ten. One being like, I'm over it. 10 being shoot me into a sun, the sun via like a catapult. <laughs> How excited are you for Kendrick tonight? Uh, 11. 11. 11. Ha- Who is going to be the first person to be like, I'm over Kendrick? When can we get that person on the watch? And do you want to be here for it? Justin Charity already said that like two years ago. That's true. Like Just- Justin Charity is over everything. That's true. Justin Charity thinks that. He hates fun and $2 bills and rainbows. Crime and- is fake news. Yeah. Okay. You no, know, it's, you know, he's already over it. And I would gladly argue with him publicly okay. about it. All right. All right. Maybe next week. Uh, Mike Computers, thank you for joining us artist is Smino. You can catch him everywhere you stream music. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Before we get to Amanda Dobbins, we're just going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This episode of The Watch is brought to you by our buddies at Sonos. Do you want to experience television, movies, and music with a sound you can feel from a speaker you'll hardly notice? Well, Playbase from Sonos gives you just that. Its low-profile design practically disappears beneath your television, yet it fills your entire viewing room with epic home theater audio. From movies and sports to TV shows and gaming, the slim, low-profile Playbase adds dynamic pulse-pounding sound to whatever's playing on your TV. It even streams your favorite music when it's off. Plus, it 
was created for TVs that sit on stands and furniture. No wall mount is required. In fact, one power cord and one optical cord is all it takes. I have mine underneath my television. It rocks. You don't even need a manual. The Sonos app guides you through every step. That is true. You know, I you, it takes like five minutes to set up. It, the, a baby could do it. Playbase securely supports TVs up to 75 pounds, which covers just about any TV that comes with its own stand. And it works with almost all TV, cable box, and universal remotes. So the remotes you have are all you'll need. Everything sounds better on Playbase. See for yourself and go to Sonos.com to learn more. That's S-O-N-O-S.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by the AV Club. Listen to this. Have you ever been on a website and thought, this seems pretty good, but what if it were a TV show instead? You're in luck. Since 1993, the AV Club has produced some of pop culture's best writing on the web. And now, after 20 years of talking about TV, things are coming full circle. And the folks at the AV Club, they're getting their own TV show. Hosted by longtime AV Club editor John Teddy, the AV Club show is a weekly deep dive that invites everyone from fanatics to casual observers alike to look closer and laugh more at every corner of pop culture, from TV to movies to music to gaming and beyond so get your snack of choice turn on fusion tv and catch the av club hosted by john teddy thursdays at nine easter and be sure to visit fusion.net slash where to watch for details okay uh we just heard from mike peters but now we are joined by the queen queen victoria of the ringer uh queen victoria is still alive right it's Elizabeth, but it's Elizabeth. I really am very pleased. That Amanda Dobbins is here. <laughs> queen Victoria was a queen of England once. Yeah, I know, I know. She's moved on to another place. Yeah, of existence. they made a bunch of shows about her recently. So. Okay. Well, both okay. of them. Amanda, I can't wait because you have threatened to release upwards of 10 recommendations. Yes. Uh, I'm just excited for the first one, though. I mean, I, I'm, I'm willing to go as far it's as you fine. want to go here. It's though. fine. I whittled it down. The one thing that I want to talk about with you, Chris Ryan. Yeah. Deces and Marrow. Oh, okay. Great. I love this show. Okay. Which are you more looking forward to? Talking to your kids about sex or drugs? Um. I feel like that's gonna be the same talk as you. Yeah. Like, like yo, yo, they both are kind of like intertwined, my guy, if you think about it. Wow. But you gotta teach your kids how to do drugs, you know what I'm saying, the smart way. <laughs> and I probably shouldn't admit this because like, it's sort of my job to uh, keep up with television on a regular <laughs> basis. <laughs> Uh, it is the only show that I am reliably 100% caught up on DVR-wise. Guess what? This makes you the perfect watch co-host. <laughs> I watch the other things, just like not, you yeah, know. Yeah, You know, like there are a couple billions on my DVR. I'm going to get there. I'm excited. Okay. There are no Deezus and Marrow on my DVR right now because I have watched them all. Has Deezus and Marrow changed its format at all? First of all, tell the listeners who may not know what it is okay. what, a little bit about it. So Deezus and Marrow is a... 30-minute talk show on Viceland. It's like Viceland's late-night show. Okay. And I, honest to God, like, never thought in my life that I would be anywhere recommending a late-night show on Viceland. But here I am. Um, Deezus and Mare are two guys who, I guess they were Twitter celebrities? Yeah, I think that there's three good people at Twitter. Yeah. There's Jason Concepcion, who Agreed. we luckily hired, and these two guys. Yeah. And they have been, I mean, they've been good on Twitter since 2000. 10? Yeah. Like, I was good on Twitter in 08. Okay. And then I kind of like fell off. Are those tweets still available? Like if I scroll sure, back I'm, far Sure, I don't delete anything. Is there evidence of you actually using Twitter? I think that life is a public act. Okay. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, so they were very good on Twitter. And then actually our pal Donnie Kwok, mm-hmm. uh, when Donnie worked at Complex, uh Invited them to do a podcast, I think, for yeah. Complex, right? That was a good good move by Donnie. Yeah, it was a great move by Donnie. And they have continued to just be in the public sphere making jokes on a regular basis. And they, they were at Complex, they did MTV, and now they started this show. And the show is essentially a podcast, but on TV. Mm-hmm. 
uh, with slight late night vibes. And it they have it's extremely well produced. It's produced by Eric Rideholm, and they, it just allows them to make jokes. And they're very funny. And I sort I think they're the only funny people on TV right now. They are the only people who can consistently make me laugh. They're the only people who I want to hear making jokes about Trump. They're the only people that I want to hear talking about viral videos, which they do regularly. And like, oh, good. Some, like they, they'll do kind of the the screen and screen where they will director's commentary like a, a child interacting <laughs> with a llama and it goes wrong. And like, I'm just I'm like over 30 years old and just sitting on my crouch, like crying, laughing. Do you watch it every night? Do you save them up and watch them in a batch? I, mean, I think part of the reason I can keep up with them is that. I'll sit down and kind of do two in a row. It's a 20-minute commitment, you know, because okay. you can fast forward. I'm not watching it live. It's not like I race home. Right. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say that within the week, they they do, they tape every day, so they're fairly current uh-huh. events. Uh, so it's better if you kind of watch. It's funny to watch them do the Spicer press conference, like, the day it happens. Yeah, that it is, to, like, cause they, because something, some new shit happens yeah, every day. Yeah, it's like, right. if you're watching the press conference from two weeks ago, it's not quite as funny. Okay. All right, that's a great recommendation. Thank Did you, you have any others? So I know that you said that you were like, I have five, I have, there's a bunch of things I yeah, want to talk about. Yeah, you want me to do a lightning round? Yeah, come on, let's just out. hit us okay. up. Okay, so I'm reading a book. Yeah. Which is great. It's called The Idiot by Elif Batuman, which oh, yeah. is, um, it's basically, it's a, Campus novel, is that what you would call it? Is sure. that the literary genre? Yeah, I don't, that's I don't want Julia to... Lipton's favorite genre exactly. of novels. I, like, I don't want Julia to get mad at me. I'm only halfway through. It's just really engrossing. It's about a young girl at Harvard. And also, I, I really enjoy it. Also, the book is pink. It's millennial pink. Do you know about millennial pink? I do. Yeah. Okay, so it's on trend. I feel very cool when I'm... I actually don't know whether I feel cool or like played out when I'm walking around with it. But right. Well, in Los Angeles, you look like a Rhodes Scholar. So it's like okay. in New York, point. maybe you'd yeah. be a little bit behind the times. Okay, number three. But you're like the only, like one of only six people reading a novel in Los Angeles right now. That's I know. Not, I know. That's not fair. Maybe ten. Right. Um, number three, Scandal. 100th episode tonight. Yeah. I'm still watching. Yeah, how's it going? Uh, okay, so season five was, I actually think, one of the best seasons of the show because it was before Trump was elected president and they kind of created a Trump character. I think they just got lucky with the timing and the the way they wrote the show. <laughs> lucky. <laughs> well, yeah. well, it felt lucky when you were watching it. I guess I haven't gone back to watch it now to see whether it's uh, less funny. Okay. But... The kind of presidential election that they did in season five, I, they had a female candidate. They were kind of doing parallel life before parallel life got horrible, and it was very interesting. Okay. Season six is a little more um, soapy and ridiculous. Like, there's a lot of spy shit, uh, but not cool spy stuff. And is Olivia, she's still with Fitz? How's that going? No. So Olivia's with no one right now. That might be my other concern is that, like, Olivia, there's no, like— regular sex scenes on the show, which is like, honestly, let's just be real about why we're watching Scandal. Right. Uh, But for me, it's the politics. Sure. sure, Of course. Um, But it's still such escapism for me. I think Shonda's so good at that. Yeah. Um, And I'm not caught up on Grey's Anatomy, so Scandal's where I am. Okay. The Idiot, Scandal, Mm -hmm. Jesus and Mero. Yeah. Those are, that's a great triple header. Thanks. All right. Amanda Dobbins, thank you for joining us. All right. Now I'm joined by Cam Collins. Uh, Cam is the Ringer's movie critic. And well, one of my favorite writers on the site. And Cam, it's great to have you back on the show. What's up? How you doing? How's it going? Uh, and now I, from some of these people who have been on the show already, I didn't know what they were going to recommend. But for you, I have to assume we're going to be talking about James Gray's Lost City of Z, which opens up this weekend in the Fast and the Furious, uh, the wake of Fast and the Furious. That's right. There's a major exploration afoot. Terrible disease. 
murderous savages. The journey may well mean your life. If we may find a city where one was considered impossible to exist, it may well write a whole new chapter in human history. I'm on the record as a fan at this point. I feel like I've tweeted about this movie more than even like Get Out, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's, it's my favorite movie of the year so far. Um, I actually, the second time I saw it, I'm not afraid to admit that I got a little teary Aww. at the end which does not happen to me often. I was very overwhelmed. Um, it's a movie about, uh, for anyone who's seeing more than one movie this weekend, I assume everyone's seeing Fast Date, and you should, because it's really fun. Um, but it's a movie about, you know, trip into the jungle, search for the sublime. It's an old-fashioned um, adventure story of a kind that really has not been in American theaters in a while. Yeah, uh, Charlie Hunnam plays uh, this uh, ex- British explorer, a soldier who's looking for basically uh, some upward mobility class-wise in, in British society around the, well, I guess it's right. sort of in the late 19th century, right? Or into the early 20th century? Yeah, it's uh, early, early 20th century, like 1901. Yeah, and so he is uh, tasked by the sort of Royal Geographic Exploration Society or some something close to that to go explore Bolivia, go explore the Amazon, make maps, and, and obviously there's other layers to the story. We don't have to get too into it. But um, for someone who's never seen a James Gray movie, Cam, can you... It succinctly even sum up what makes him such a special filmmaker? I think for me, it's just like he takes familiar, you know, he, his early movies were crime dramas. Then he made like like a movie, like an, uh, a movie called The Immigrant that was very similar to like Brooklyn, which came out the same year. Like he makes like genre, uh, like movies, you're aware of the kind of movies that he's making. They're kind of typical movies, typical dramas. But he just instills them with this sense of, for me, um, sometimes it's anguish, sometimes it's just, uh, familiar warmth. There's just something about the histories of people and the histories of relationships and feelings in his movies that just really stand out for me. It's kind of hard to really qualify. It's, it's sort of a, if he hits for you, he hits in a very emotional way. The people who like his movies are very devoted. <laughs> yeah, I think that there's a, I, I don't want to get too into the plot, but there's a relationship in Lost City of Z between Charlie Hunnam and Sienna Miller who plays his wife, that in 99.9% of other movies that would have if, if you gave this to 99% of other filmmakers, and we're like, okay, make a movie out of David Grant's Lost City of Z, Sienna Miller's character would be practically when you know she would be window dressing, and she would only be kind of there to wave goodbye and say hello, and um, the the time that James Grace spends developing her character, even if she is still limited in the scope of this film, uh, is like is a really good example, I think, of like the, the little things that he does that are just slightly different than most filmmakers. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just say, like the you know the time the second time I saw the movie when I got really emotional, it was really because of Diana Miller's character because the movie is so so uh, devoted to both. Um, exploring his desire to get into the jungle, but also her inability because of her station, right? Her inability that she's an explorer as much as he is and her inability to go into the jungle and join him is like really moving to me. Um, the, the, the movie is really, uh, really intently making you aware of her modernity, like her independence, but her just social inability 
to join her husband in the jungle. They have arguments about it. It's really, it's just really, it's fr- I'm frustrated for her. Yeah. And that's what really, partially what really moved me. And we <laughs> should say, so cool. <laughs> you know, we joke about Fast 8 coming out and, uh, you know, had a lot, a majority of people are going to probably go see that this weekend. But I would say to anybody listening who's not familiar with the material or who is a filmmaker, Cam and I are not talking about, um, you know, experimental avant-garde, you know, tracking shots of pottery here. Like this is actually like an adventure movie. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's got a lot more in common with uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark than, um, than, you know, than a a Swedish film about like, you know, a marriage falling apart or something like that. It's, it's a very, uh, it's a very thrilling adventure ride, but it's a, it's, it's kind of languid in the way it tells it, and and it, and it just reveals so much detail. I was I, was, I really loved your review. It's yeah. on the Ringer today. And it's beautiful to look at. It's oh yeah, beautiful to. I mean, toward the end, there's this shot when he's going on his last trip with his son. There's this shot, like the saying goodbye to his family or whatever. Just this shot of the dawn in the sky. It's just like what the like. <laughs> uh, it's just like it's just like painterly and just out of this world. It's the kind of movie that I really think. People need to see in theaters. You and, and I, I don't both feel got. That way about, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's totally like a widescreen experience. You and I both got very excited absolutely. about Gray's next movie, uh, which he begins shooting in July oh with Brad Pitt, who is now officially just keeps good filmmakers in business. Is like what I think like he's trying to do. Right. Totally. Um, Brad Pitt, who was supposed to be the star of Lost City of the actually. Oh, was he really? Plan B. Yeah, he, he was, I, my understanding is he was supposed to be uh, before Charlie Hunnam. Not Charlie Hunnam, who's great, by the way. I think it, but, that would have been um, strange. You can, you can if, see Brad Pitt in that role. Yeah, that would have been an, a, a weird Legends of the Fall move for him. I'm glad it's Hunnam. But uh, <laughs> Gray's next movie is called Ad Astra, and it's about, uh, it's a sci-fi movie with Brad Pitt in space. And I think if I read the sort of summary right, is Gray hasn't like gone too deeply into the narr- like the plot points, but he's been saying that it's basically about how horrifying it must be to be in space. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, and how I'm so like, ready? Chal- I'm can't I cannot wait for this. Um, Cam, is there any other? I, I, I love space movies. I love it. I uh, can't wait. Oh yeah, I mean, J- just like what James Gray's gonna do with shots of outer space is is like I'm 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 already there. What? Uh, give me another recommendation for people this weekend. Okay, another super small movie um, for any literary heads out there. It's a movie called The Quiet Passion by Terrence Davies. Uh, it's a movie about Emily Dickinson, uh, and it stars Cynthia Nixon. It's a movie that I, I've, been, I've been waiting to see for a while. It's kind of been in the pipeline for a while, but it just, uh, alongside Lost Sea of Z, it's one of my favorite movies of the year. It's just, if you're looking for a movie that, that really gets that what was distinctive about Emily Dickinson, not just as a writer, but as a, a person. Um, like how rebellious she was in spirit, the kind of arguments she had with people. It's just unmissable. And if, like me, you are a stand for Jennifer Ely, who is not in enough movies. Oh, yeah. This is also a chance to see her in something. She's great in... Uh, and like she has like lines and stuff. As <laughs> like, soon as you see her, you'll know her. Up, like in Zero Dark Thirty. Oh, yeah. And she's in, uh, was she in Contagion, too? Was she, what else was she in? She was in Contagion. Yes. Yeah. That's right. I just love to see her in things. And she's fantastic. She plays Emily Dickinson's sister. But uh, it's, it's just, if you're looking for a movie where Emily Dickinson, you know, doesn't leave the house, has a crush on any dude who enters the house, and has all these spiritual, like, anguishes, and is also, like, kind of bitchy, it's just fantastic right <laughs> it sounds like it, it, it will partner nerd you need to see it it'll partner really well with the finale of girls 
Absolutely. Okay. She's as prickly. Yeah. Cam, thank you so much for calling in. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. And we're closing out the show with the closer, Juliette Littman. Hey. My what's office up? mate. Office, uh, office roommate is what I prefer. Office roommate. My sources say partner in crime. Mm. Not RIP. No. No, maybe we'll come back one day. Just on a hiatus. Um, Juliet, thank you for joining me. Thanks. What, what Thanks is your pop cultural cultural recommendation? Okay, so I haven't watched this yet, but <laughs> I, I just want to say that I'm really looking forward to the uh, three-part, six-hour World War One documentary on PBS. Is this a Burns a Burns no, jam? Okay. It's an American experience okay. jam. I don't know. I'm just excited about it. World War One set the violent 20th century in motion. Was the first use of chemical weapons. Why ever could you be interested in World War One? Because it's the Great War. I know. I was saying it's like because it has so many echoes to our current time. Oh, I see. Cool. Yes, yeah, so I'm excited about that. Um, I'm also really excited about Riverdale when I uh, yeah when I get home. Interesting thing with Riverdale is that this happens with shows a lot. I think there's like a cool period. I'm not saying like I'm out on Riverdale, mm-hmm. but like basically like. The thing that I think I like about Riverdale is the thing that they can't do if they're going to make X amount of episodes per season. Sure. So now it's like super soapy. This is precisely what happened with the OC. And it's a lot of like Riverdale town business being right. done. Like what's what's going on with Luke Perry's construction site yeah. and Ski Ulrich. It's, and, it's incredibly similar to the OC. You yeah. Could, you could really draw a lot of parallels. The OC premiered in the summer of 03 with seven episodes. Sprouse is coming on just like uh, Adam, what's his face, did. What's his name? Adam Brody. Yeah. I think I like Sprouse to Brody. Yeah. They had a really strong like first five to seven. I mean, the first seven episodes of the OC are like just classic television yeah. like just incredible and um, you're like oh this is a show for teens that adults can like too yeah. and then it just becomes so soapy they're like nope this is just a show for teens and I'm going to pretend that I am one but so I, I still recco Riverdale and I you're excited too. to catch up I do too and then I have a, the thing I'm most excited to watch this right now in general you have no interest in but I'm going to try to convince you it's my personal challenge okay the Real Housewives of New York. I've never watched a single Real Housewives episode. It's incredible. It's just an incredible show. Isn't there like a, a really political person? Okay, that's one reason why it's great. Okay. Slash extremely painful. One of the top housewives is Carol Radziwill. You can call her Radzi if you'd like. Andy Cohen does. Okay. She um, is related to the Kennedys. Like she was, she vaguely. Lee Radziwill is like her, her relative. Okay. Um, and she's like extremely pro Hillary. And so last week was the season premiere, and in it she's like, "This guy's never gonna win. He's a disgusting, sexist, misogynist buffoon." And Bethany, who is who is usually my homegirl, uh-huh. was just sort of like, "Shut up!" Like she just like had she doesn't a, want to talk about she it. She didn't want to be into it, which is probably because Bethany's very savvy and knows it's not good reality TV to be so tied to. Bethany a was like that professor who was like, "I predict Trump will win. I have a 13, 13 reason." why he's going to win. Yeah, Bethany is like, I work for the USC Dorn Seife polling, and, I under- and I've been right the last three elections. <laughs> no, but so Carol is like, it's taped in October, and it's like, it's kind of, um, sh- it's, it makes me feel a little shook. I'm just right. like, God, this was... This was a different time. It's re- <laughs> it's really weird. It was six months ago. It was a different time. And so Carol's great, like for so many reasons. Um, namely, is that a couple years ago we saw her meet a thirty-year-old um, private chef in one of her, the other housewives' kitchen, and now they're living together and they're still dating. And yeah. it's like a May-December romance turned into like a love, of, like just like an epic love affair. It's kind of amazing. Do you only watch New York? At this point, yes. Yeah, okay. I dip in and out on Beverly Hills, but I just fucking love New York. And so 
Carol's like all hot and bothered about Trump. She doesn't know what's coming for her. It's really weird to watch. Are they going to have an election episode? Probably. Fuck. And it's funny because last season Carol was on her co-op board and she or she was running for her co-op board. Yeah. And made a really big deal about like campaigning and her election and stuff. And then so it's like so weird to look back and be like, that was the prologue to her caring a lot about the presidential election. Is her running for a co-op board? So there's historical ramifications. That's number one. Number two is um, how much were you reading Gawker.com in like the year 2006? Fair amount. So you remember Tinsley Mortimer? Yes. Tinsley Mortimer's on the show. What? She made her debut this week. <laughs> what? Yes. Tinsley Mortimer has fled Palm Beach, where last season she was arrested for tra- last year in 2016. She was arrested for trespassing. What happened with those charges? I'm not sure. Google okay. it. All right. <laughs> you're, you're bringing this to me. I'm not looking for a research project. So it doesn't really matter, but she's had to flee Palm Beach. She got arrested, et cetera, et cetera. She's back in New York. She arrives last on this week's episode, stepping out of a cab, like very much like Veronica Lodge in Riverdale. Okay. And like, like just fleeing to a, a, a different city, which for her, it's going back where she kind of like made her name. She walked out of this cab. like It's like a black car or whatever. Mm-hmm. All the Louis Vuitton luggage in the world. And she arrives at Sonia Morgan's house. Um, Sonia Morgan used to be married to a rich guy and um, has gone through her own bankruptcy and is totally bonkers, but has a beautiful townhouse on the Upper East Side. And at various points, she houses other housewives. So Tinsley Mortimer has just moved in with her while she looks for a place. Okay. So, like, Tinsley Mortimer is, like, back in New York trying to get back on her feet. No. Big topic of conversation as well. She's 41, and Sonia assumed she would never want to have kids. She was older than me back then. Yeah. She remains older than you now. That's wild. And, and um, she talks about how she like froze her eggs. And it's just like so Are weird. Are we going to get a Julia Allison cameo? We might. Anything's in play. We got the, so we have these dueling narratives of Tinsley Mortimer, socialite of the previous decade, who yeah. I'm certain has met like Donald Trump probably in like some, some weird who events. Who hasn't? Yeah. Who, who hasn't? And meanwhile, like the replaying of the election. And then, of course, there's Bethany, who's just like, per- she knows exactly what to do on TV to be compelling. So this it's is like, like a friggin' James Mitchell novel. It is. It's like, it, it, it's my platonic ideal of a reality show. Because, That's great. Because it has so many compelling storylines that like resonate with my very specific interests that like it's just fun to watch. I, I, I freaking love it. And I feel like you could really get into the Tinsley Mortimer stuff. All right. I'm, I'm, if they want to just bring Gawker 06 back into a Housewives, I'll, I'll check it out for sure. That would be a good mixtape. Kind of like Summer 06, but Gawker 06. <laughs> <laughs> That's did a high you, point. Did you already address what you're looking forward to watching this weekend? Uh, I'm I've, I'm very much looking forward to the leftovers. I'm curious about Gorilla, which I think mm. airs on Sunday on Showtime. Um, I'm going to be watching multiple NBA playoff games, which is in itself a drama. Me too. And uh, I've been watching. That's about it. You know, like I just I have a lot of like a lot of stuff in the DVR. Me too. A lot so, of classics. So much. Oh, you know what I was going to ask you? Yeah. Now me. that I have you here? Hit me. So I was reading Lindsay Zolads' Meet Me Later piece. Mm. Uh, she directed the first episode of The Leftovers, and it is one of the most masterfully directed episodes of television I can remember. I'm very excited about it. And so I was inevitably just scrolling through her ER hits. Mm. Hit and Run. Do you remember that one? Oh, yes. Yeah. Do of you have course. a. Give me. Give me the Juliet Littman top three ER eps. I just want to say, didn't she do the, the George Clooney. Uh... The, oh, the car Opus? accident? Yeah, where he's like in the, in the sewer. Did she not do that? I'm not sure. I thought she might have. Um, my favorite ER episodes. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. I mean, this is not... I just want to say that I have... 
on YouTube a few videos I return to over and over again. <laughs> I'm aware. The dulcet sounds of Don Henley singing Take Me Home with Carol arriving at the waterfront where Doug, ha- Doug is, which was filmed in Gloucester while he was filming The Perfect Storm. Oh. But it's supposed to be Seattle. It's probably one of my favorite clips. My favorite ER episodes, though. God, this is really hard. <sighs> the, I, the Doug one of him in the car is like pretty wild. Doug when he saves the kid. Yeah. yeah and there's the rainstorm. The flood, That's right? probably, yeah. There's, it's like a, yeah. That's probably. There's the Tarantino episode, right? Well, yes. It's the Tarantino episode. I think the Doug one has to be number one. It's so good. But in season one, um, very close to the end of the season, Mark Green um, mishandles a pregnancy and this mother dies from preeclampsia and her husband is just so distraught like he his baby lives but it then just kind of changes the course of the show and changes Mark into like a really um, more inward guy right? more inward it kind of like ruins his marriage it just changes everything and it's like an incredible incredible oh, that's episode because right, even Stringfield were kind of like on and like it it he never, was married. Yeah. But and it was a very bad relationship. And her, him and Sherry Stringfield had like a flirtation. And then Sherry Stringfield left the show. He didn't ask her to stay. There's so many. She left the show or like her character left the hospital? No, Sherry Stringfield left the show. To be a fa- to be like a movie star? To be star? famous. It was a huge mistake. And then, and then she came back, obviously. Right. Um, that's a really good one. I think also like a little bit later period when uh, the episode where the numbers guy stabs Kelly Martin and oh, John yeah. Carter. Oh, yeah. That's like a really, really epic one. There are just certain episodes in ER that you can point at them and be like, yeah, that was a game changer. Like that, they, they were going zag and they zigged. Right. That's right. What, that's and another they often, one. like, would that, that'll happen with a character death. All right. Yeah. I was just, ER is just still underrated. Yeah. The, the most, the most underrated storyline of that show is Jeannie Boulay having AIDS. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Pretty, she was dating her Peter Benton at the time, Dr. Right? Peter Benton. Yeah. And then she, and then she ends up with uh, Deshaun. Hardison from 90210. It's a groundbreaking show. Okay, Juliet Livin, thank you for joining us. This has been a special episode of The Watch with Ringer staff members recommending stuff. I hope you enjoyed it. Andy and I will be back on Monday to talk about The Leftovers uh, and the season finale of Girls. So thank you so much for listening. Great job, Baranskis. Thanks again to Fusion TV's The AV Club for sponsoring today's watch episode. Pop culture is everywhere. According to non-existent studies, it is 83% of the things you consume that's more than oxygen. At the acclaimed pop culture website, The AV Club, it's all they ever want to talk about. And now they're coming to TV. The AV Club, hosted by John Teddy, is a weekly deep dive that illuminates all the fun, strange corners of pop culture. The AV Club airs Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Fusion TV. Visit fusion.net slash where to watch for details. And, of course, thanks again to Sonos for sound you can feel from a speaker you'll hardly notice. You need that play bass in your life from Sonos. Its low-profile design practically disappears beneath your TV while filling your entire room with epic audio. Playbase adds pulse-pounding sound to whatever's playing, from movies and sports to TV and games and music. And you don't even need to read the manual because that Sonos app just guides you through every step. It is so simple. It's just like using any other app on your phone. It's just really basic, and all of a sudden, you've got yourself a home theater. One power cord, one optical cord, that's all it takes. Everything sounds better on Playbase. See for yourself at Sonos.com. That's S-O-N-O-S.com.